Welcome to this Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm John McClain, and I can be reached at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. I'm Greg Rajan. I can be reached at Greg Rajan, R-A-J-A-N, on Twitter. Greg, it's a great weekend for playoffs. Traditionally, the divisional round is the best, the most exciting, the most competitive. They've weeded out the Super Bowl pretenders in the wild card round. I am pumped about this weekend, and I know you are too. I am excited about it. I Personally, I think Championship Sunday is the best because of the stakes, the drama, et cetera. But the divisional round is a close second. And I th- I'm i going to say that two years in, the expanded playoff format is not a good idea because these number seven seeds haven't shown me anything. And these games last weekend, save for Dallas and San Francisco, were pretty terrible. I don't think the NFL cares because it's all up to what TV wants. And it kept a lot of fan bases interested right up to the end, but you're right. Those games were so non-competitive in the first round, except the one you mentioned, the Cowboys and the 49ers. And like the Eagles, the Eagles only beat one winning team in the season. That was New Orleans. And they were, I think, 0-6 against playoff teams. And then they got hammered. And they should have been hammered, but that's that's a moot point since they're all gone. You know, the end of that Cowboy game will rage on through the offseason among their fan base and the media about what a dumb idea it was to call a quarterback draw and how poorly executed it was. If it upsets Cowboy fans, Greg, I'm all for it. Yeah, there were there were a lot of upset Cowboy fans, that's for sure. I can't believe it's been, what, 26 years since the Cowboys went to a Super Bowl? That's that's a lifetime for some. Uh We'll get we'll get to the NFL playoff games this weekend a little later. We, there's always Texans news to catch up on because you know there's always some drama with the Texans. We got a little unexpected Texans uh, news yesterday out of San Francisco when uh, our old friend Charles Amenahu took some shots at his uh, former team. Compared the move to the 49ers, he said it's not a circus show here. Raved about the structure in San Francisco with the head coach and general manager. I guess every the alignment there. And also, he he said, um, this is not an ego-driven organization. I don't know uh, who that was a shot at, but uh, I think his words definitely uh, raised some eyebrows yesterday, John. Well, what Chuck should have done was been on his knees with his hands clasped together, looking at the heavens and thanking God for the Texans trading him to the 49ers. Because instead of being on one of the worst teams in the league, that's looking for a new coach, new direction, and still needs a whole lot of talent. He's going to Lambeau Field for the divisional round of the playoffs, and he's pl- he's played pretty well lately. He was inactive for a couple of games and didn't do much. And the thing about ego-driven, I'm guessing he's talking about Casario or Easterby or both of them. It certainly wasn't David Culley. There were no problems between David Culley and Nick Casario, because Casario calls all the shots over there, hires the coaches, is involved on game day. So Chuck's been gone a while. He didn't know exactly the way things work behind the scenes. But like Whitney Merciless, Whitney Merciless is in this game. He should be so happy and thankful that they cut him. In fact, Greg, when I was watching the the wild card round, I'd see several former players who were dumped this year, uh, the not this year, but Dontrell Hilliard, the number two running back behind Deontay Foreman, 
over the last eight games at Tennessee. Uh, he was cut a long time ago this season. And uh, so there's a lot of Texans out there, a lot of Texans people, coaches, and uh, front office people in the 49ers organization, which is one of the reasons I root for them. I've known Kyle Shanahan a long time. He has final say on all personnel decisions in that organization. It's in his contract. Here, the coach will never have that. It will always be Nick Casario. And I think most people like Amenahu and wish him well. John, speaking of the 49ers, do you see D'Amico Ryans, the defensive coordinator there, and a former Texan star? He was a defensive rookie of the year here in Houston. Do you see him getting any head coaching interviews coming up here? D'Amico's only been a coordinator for one year. Now, that's more than Gerard Mayo, who's never been a coordinator, been an assistant coach for three years. D'Amico's been with them since 2017. I wrote a column about him before the Texans played the 49ers in that last road game, and there's no doubt he's going to be a head coach. People were saying that for the last two or three years about Robert Sala, who was here for six years with the Texans, and now they're saying it about D'Amico. He's just got the it factor, and he talked about how much he learned when he when he played for the Texans uh, under Gary Kubiak. But he's going to be a head coach. It's not if, Greg, it is a win. John, when we look at the head coaching candidates the Texans have interviewed so far, there's a Brian Flores, the former Dolphins uh, head coach. You've got Joe Lombardi, the Chargers offensive coordinator, who happens to be Vince Lombardi's grandson. Heinz Ward, the former Steelers receiver. Now he's working as an assistant at Florida Atlantic. Jonathan Gannon, the current Eagles defensive coordinator, just finished his first season in that role. And then they they asked for permission to interview Kevin O'Connell, who I think was is he the Rams offensive coordinator? Yes, and he's a he's got a Foxborough stamp on his passport since he was a Patriots draft pick in the two thousands. Didn't play there, but obviously Nick Casario would be familiar with him in some way. Have any favorites emerged in your eyes so far, or is are we still in the early stages of this process? Brian Flores is clearly the favorite. I don't put any stock in any of those others. I'll be shocked, Greg, if they hire somebody that didn't work or play in New England. And the reason is this. If you're a head coaching candidate and you come to a team where the general manager is running around on the field playing assistant coach um, on practice days, now there's nothing wrong with that. Casario was a coach two different times with the Patriots. Bill Belichick liked him doing it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just different. And then when you have a general manager on the headset communicating with you and the offensive coordinator during the games, that's something you have to get used to. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because they got a lot of people on the headsets. And Casario being a former coach and a quarterback in college, coach with the Patriots. But it's just unusual, if not unprecedented, as far as GMs, the Texans general managers. They don't sit in the press box like most of them do or have their own suite during home games. They always sit with the owner. But Casario uh, wants to do it the way Bill Belichick wanted it in New England, and that's what he does. So that's why a guy like Brian Flores, he understands all that. And then you got Jack Easterby, the executive VP of football operations, and he's involved in everything. And even though Nick Casario has it in his contract that he has final say on all personnel decisions and the head coach, he pointed out on Sports Radio 610 this week he that some of, he didn't say all of or most of or a lot of, some of the criticism 
of Easterby uh, is not justified. And he reiterated that he has final say on that. Nobody's ever, well, I'll say nobody. The Chronicles never questioned that. We know exactly the hierarchy. We know what's in his contract. But it doesn't keep Easterby from making suggestions on personnel. Yes, he's involved in it. But the two that he listens to the most are his co-personnel directors, James Lipford and Matt Basring. And those guys have a lot of experience and are very well respected. But so if you're going to be a coach here, you better get used to having Jack Easterby uh, listening, critiquing your media interviews, sitting off camera while you're doing your Zooms. And I just think that's preposterous. So a guy like Brian Flores would, would understand all that. I'll tell you, I think Heinz Ward, who was a Jets assistant for two years before he went to Florida Atlantic, I'm guessing his interview came because his agent had a favor to ask of Casario maybe to get his name out there because he wants to come back to the NFL. He's not getting his job. And uh, Kevin O'Connell is a very interesting story. Uh, when Johnny Manziel came out of A&M, I went and spent a day, two days with him in San Diego where he was uh, training. And um, uh, George Whitfield, the quarterback guru, had he and Mike Evans as well as some others out there. Well, his, his film work, which was done on the computer, was being conducted by Kevin O'Connell. And uh, he worked with uh, George Whitfield with those prospects out there. So that's the first time I met Kevin. And I watched him help uh, Manziel and, didn't, and uh, prepare him for the his pro day in the combine and the draft. And so Kevin O'Connell has risen up the ranks. You know, Joe Lombardi and Jonathan Gammon, they've been a coordinator for one year. Casario obviously has heard good things about him, but I'd be surprised if he hadn't interviewed Gerard Mayo, Patriots inside linebackers coach. Two guys, I'm they're conspicuous by their absence. Brian Dayball, the, the offensive coordinator from Buffalo, who we thought would get a head coaching job last year and didn't. He was not interviewed last year. Well, he's been with Casario two different times with the Patriots. He and Casario and Easterby uh, have the same agent, Bob Lamont, and yet he's not gotten any run here. And Josh McDaniels, who goes back with Casario to college at John Carroll University, he's not been mentioned for two years. Maybe, maybe Casario said, hey, man, I'd like to hire you. And he's, I'm just not interested. I'm going to replace Bill when he retires. And so those two guys have been conspicuous by their absence. And I expect them to interview several more. And then I expect it to be somebody with Patriot ties. But I've been surprised before, Greg. And so I might be surprised this one, but Flores should be the leading candidate. You know, John, when it comes to Flores, it seems there's a lot of revisionist history coming out of Miami that Flores was the guy pushing for Deshaun Watson and owner Stephen Ross really wasn't that interested in it. But we've, we've also got some people wondering if Flores were the coach here, would that be enough to get Deshaun Watson back in the fold? Because I believe they share the same agent in David Mulligetta. And since Flores had pushed for Watson, but you've been pretty adamant in saying the ship has sailed with Watson. He's not going to take another snap with the Texans. That ship sailed so long ago, you can't even see it on the horizon. He will never take another step for the Texans. He hates the Texans. You know, they could have let him go and not have to show up this year and let him go work out on his own, travel the world while he made his $10.54 million. 
but they insisted that he come to work every day, go to meetings, work out, go out and work out on the field with a lower level coach because they didn't want him taking up reps at practice. And so he wanted out in the worst way to begin with. And one of the main reasons he wanted out is still there, Jack Easterby. So there's no way he would want to come back, and there's no way they'd want him back because he put them through unmitigated hell this season with that trade demand. And then the 22 civil lawsuits for sexual assault and sexual misconduct. And so he will be traded when he gets the lawsuits settled. If he does not, he won't. And coming out of Miami, Stephen Ross was one of the driving forces on that trade. You look at how Tua Tungvaloa played this season. People tried to pump him up and talk about how well he played. And I'm not so well down the stretch. He couldn't carry Deshaun Watson's jock. They had a three first-round picks, a three and a five ready to go, and Ross was all for it. And then he said, well, we better get those lawsuits settled. That was on a Thursday before the Tuesday trading deadline, and they got 18 settled, couldn't get four. And unless he settles them, He's not going to be traded this time, but I expect that he will because, and, and he knows, and so does Tony Busby, the attorney representing the accusers, that his base salary goes up from $10.5 million to $35 million. And he knows if he doesn't want another season like this one, he is going to have to settle his civil suits. And Brian, Brian Flores, another thing about Flores, he didn't get fired because of his coaching. He got fired because of his communication skills and relationships. I remember when he was fired, um, Armando Silguero from Outkick.com, who covered the Dolphins for years for the Miami Herald, said he should take a year off and work on his relationship skills. And you wonder, why does a guy in three years have four offensive coordinators, four offensive line coaches, two offensive coordinators, and you hope he's learned, but Casario knows him real well. Jack Easterby knows him real well. It just seems like a natural fit. And if he goes somewhere else, like the Giants or the Bears, to take over those teams instead of a team where he's so familiar with a lot of the people, James Lipford and others in that organization, what does that tell you about what he thinks about this organization? John, let's uh, transition to the games on the field this weekend. The game I'm looking most forward to during the divisional round is the Chiefs and the Bills at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, rematch of last year's AFC Championship game. What game are you most looking forward to watch? I'm with you, Craig. My goodness, after the way Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes played in their victories over the Patriots and the Steelers, I can't wait to see them at Arrowhead. It's supposed to be cold but sunny, no snow, no rain. It should be the premier game of the weekend. I'm going with the Chiefs because they're home if the game was in Buffalo. I would take the Bills. The one that's the best game, the one I'm really most interested in because it's the AFC South and the former Oilers, the Tennessee Titans, but they play a totally different style than the Bengals of offense. This is going to be such a contrast. I can't wait to see how Shane Bowen, their defensive coordinator, who used to be here with Mike Vrabel, was with the Texans, what he does about an offense that has more touchdowns outside the red zone than any team in the league. So you got to take away their deep plays. you got to get after Joe Burrow. The Titans are the only team that has three pass rushers with at least eight sacks. That would be uh, Harold Landry, Jeffrey Simmons, and Danico Autry. So they obviously want to shut down Joe Mixon in the running game. 
try to get after Burrow and then play a lot of deep coverage, keep T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd from beating them deep. But when it comes to styles of play, that's the one I'm the most interested in. The Bengals last weekend won a playoff game for the first time since the 1990 season. January of 91, you were at Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. The Bengals whipped up on the Oilers 41-14. to I looked up the headline in the Chronicle that next day. It was Bungle in the Jungle. And uh, what are your memories of that playoff game at Riverfront? The Oilers just got pounded, Greg. That was Jack Hardy's first season as a head coach. And the thing I remember most about that game was Warren Moon in a follow-through hitting his hand on a, one of his linemen's helmets and coming off the field. And the media was back then, we would be taken down to the sideline with about five minutes left so we could follow the teams into the dressing rooms because they didn't have elevators then that went all the way down outside the dressing room. So we were following them to the locker room, and but I'm standing there next to the bench, and Moon comes off holding his right hand and sticking out of his thumb where it connects to the hand was a bone. He had a compound fracture, and he wasn't even looking at it. He was looking back on the field to see what was going on as he went over to the trainer, Brad Brown, and that's my everlasting memory of that game. John, um, the NFC side, I think the more intriguing matchup, obviously, is the Buccaneers and the Rams. The Rams have kind of had the Bucks number the past couple of years. They won. They beat them this season. They beat them last season. Do you see the Bucks being worried about you know stumbling against the Rams here, even though the game is in Tampa? A lot of their fans and media, they're wondering about that. They've been writing about that. The Rams and Matthew Stafford uh, going into the playoffs, I thought there was no player and coach under more pressure than Matthew Stafford and uh, Sean McVay. And uh, because McVay had traded so many high picks to get veteran players. And uh, so when they did that, they need to win. And they can't go down in the divisional round. You know, last year, they went up to Seattle and, and won the first game against the Seahawks. And now they, they beat the defending Super Bowl champions. People are going to look at them as a legitimate Super Bowl contender. But I never, ever pick against Tom Brady. I'm not going to do it now. I think Brady's dream is going to die at Lambeau Field. That's a good rule of thumb. I got a couple more topics I want to broach with you, both baseball-related. First, any thoughts on Carlos Correa hiring Scott Boris as his agent? I feel bad for his longtime agent that got him to this point. And Boris, who basically runs baseball, and they say, this lockout is not going to end till Boris and TV want it to end. So I think going to Scott Boris, who's the most powerful, influential agent in professional sports, that's just going to get him more money. You know, there's talk about the Yankees. There's talk about, I'm glad he's not going to the Rangers. You know, I would hate to see him go to the Dodgers. But if he goes to the Yankees, even though they're in American League, I don't care. I don't hate them like the Dodgers, and I'd hate to see them have to play them as much against the uh, Rangers. But, you know, I'm for Correa getting everything he can get because he's earned it. I'm just sad he's not going to be back with the Astros. Well, one caveat, though, is Boris does have some clients on the Astros. He represents Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Lance McCullers Jr., and he did get extensions done with the Astros for Altuve and McCullers. So we shall see if uh, there's anything to be had with the Astros. Last question I have for you. The Sugarland Skeeters are changing their name to the Space Cowboys. 
Any thoughts on that? Well, I'm the original gangster of love. Call you Maurice, or it is so funny. We're all referencing the Steve Miller song from the early '70s, and I think that that the Astros, who are behind this, of course, don't realize Space Cowboys is a reference to drugs. And there's a movie Space Cowboys as well, but uh, they've gotten a lot of attention out of it. I personally like Skeeters, the Sugarland Skeeters. There was something to it. But the Space Cowboys, I hate it. People are not going to call them Space Cowboys. People who write headlines are not going to put people who write headlines are not going to be putting Space Cowboys in every headline because we all shorten uh, nicknames. So I hate the fact that a lot of people are going to say, hey, how about them Cowboys? Yeah, that's true. Although, man, if you're gonna go, if they're gonna go with Space Cowboys, I think they've got to get Steve Miller out there to throw the first pitch at at their home opener this year. I think he's he's from the Dallas area. That's a great idea, Greg. Some people call me the Space Cowboy. Yeah, I'm John McLean. You can reach me at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. I'm Greg Rajan. You can reach me at Greg Rajan R A J A N on Twitter. Thank you very much, Maurice. And uh, we'll do it again next week. Thank everybody for listening, reading, and watching. If you wonder what in the heck we're talking about, go back and listen to Steve Miller, one of his all-time great songs.